Hey, it's Amelia, aka Big Tit. And I'm Natasha, aka Little Tit. And together, we're, we're the, the Graveyard, Graveyard Girls. Hello. Hello. I was just going to jump straight in then. Hello. Okay. Is, uh, is this a normal episode of this Patreon? This is normal. <laughs> okay. I don't have a Patreon. You should have a Patreon today. Yeah, I have Patreon. Okay, there we go. I have yes. a couple of Patreons. Okay. We're spoiled for choice. So this is a true crime and mysteries one. Okay. Uh, true crime. So... Have you ever heard of the Blackout Killer, Ooh. also known as Blackout Ripper and the Wartime Ripper? No. Neither did I. Okay. I'm guessing it happens in wartime. It does. <laughs> so it fits in with my timeline of like me trying to stick to the early uh, 20th century. Yeah. And I don't think it's ever really been covered. Okay. So I wanted to cover it. Okay. Does this mean that there's not much or you have managed to find a lot? There's a lot on it. Okay. It's just, I think lots of true crime things tend to focus on like the big, massive, like Jack the Ripper or modern cases. So, Gordon Cummins was born in New Earswick in North Yorkshire on the 18th of February, 1914. And was the fourth, uh, sorry, the first of four children born to John Cummins and his wife, Amelia Lee. Oh, I'm in it. (laughs) (laughs) You're only a housewife, though. Oh, okay. John was a civil servant who ran a school for delinquent youths. And Amelia was just a housewife. Oh, just a housewife. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is the early 1900s. Well, you know. You can't be expected to be anything more than that. I know, but if I don't feed them all, they'd all be starving, you know. Mm. If I don't clean the clothes. So the family resided in South Wales when Gordon mm-hmm. was at a private school and he graduated with a diploma in chemistry. Oh, okay. At the age of 18, Gordon moved to Newcastle where he briefly worked as an industrial chemist. Ooh. So he's quite smart. But he was dismissed oh, no. from this job after five months. It tends to be he's not very good with timekeeping and oh, stuff okay. like that. So he's constantly out of jobs. In August 1933, Gordon obtained employment as a tanner in Northampton. Ooh. Oh, so he's moved around a fair bit then. Mm-hmm. Although he was fired again from this Uh-oh. due to his poor timekeeping after okay. 13 months. In October 1934, Gordon relocated to London and obtained a job as a leather dresser in a clothing factory. And this earned him about £3 a week, which is about equivalent to like £60 in okay. our money. Okay. And then he later trained to become a foreman at this firm. Okay, so at least he seems to have held that down a bit longer. A little bit longer. While residing in London, he developed a desire to live the life of an aristocrat. Crat. Oh, okay. So Not a cat. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to be a cat. Maybe he did want to be a cat. A posh cat. (laughs) So, obviously, he frequented hotels and clubs in the West End, falsely claiming that Uh he was the illegitimate son of someone who was very well-known, but he wouldn't, like, drop name drop. Oh, right, okay. So he'd be like, I'm son of Lord so-and-so. Yes. Okay. And he also claimed to receive an allowance from this person. Mm. To support this daydream, Gordon practised his accent to imitate that of an Oxford person. So he's... Ah. If they're good at acting, maybe you should have gone for that as a job. Mm. And he insisted on being referred to as the Honourable Gordon Cummins. Okay. To fund this make-believe lifestyle, he stole and embezzled, and he also regularly bragged to colleagues of his sexual 
excursions with local women. Oh. So this may be true, may not be true. To his employers, his extravagant lifestyle impacted his work performance and therefore he was eventually fired. Mm, Which makes sense. In 1935. Shortly after this, he moved into his brother's 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 flat in Queen's Mews in Bayswater in like the London area. Okay. As he was out of a job, he signed up for the RAF in 1935. He initially trained as a rigger and tasked with undertaking flight checks on aircraft. He was regarded by his superiors as an ambitious individual, although his boastful attitude (laughs) and false claims of nobility made him quite unpopular with the fellow servicemen. Mm, I can imagine. Who gave him a nickname, the Duke. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be calling him the dupe. (laughs) (laughs) In May 1936, he met Marjorie Stevens, and after a seven-month courtship, they got married on December 28th of that year. So that's kind of normal, isn't it? Yeah. Between the years of 1936 and 41, he was stationed around Scotland before being transferred to Cornwall for a short period in 1941. Okay. This is where he appeared before the RAF Selection Board to take an aviation exam. His exemplary performance earned him a transfer to the Aircrew Receiving Centre in Regent's Park, so now he's been back down to London, to London. from Scotland via Cornwall. Okay, so he's been all over the place then. Mm-hmm. This is where he'd be stationed with 300 other men, and he was ordered to report for duty at 10am on the 2nd of February 1942. Okay. But before this... He was a rather naughty boy. Oh, dear. (laughs) He is suspected to have killed his first victim. Oh. Hmm. I thought someone was going to kill him for pretending to be people. (laughs) No, he is the wartime ripper. Okay. He is suspected of committing his first first two murders in October 1941. Okay. His first uh, suspected victim was a 19-year-old clerk named Maple Churchyard. Oh, how's that? That's a really unusual name. And she was murdered on October 13th. I haven't checked if that's Friday. Oh, (laughs) well, it's unlucky for some anyway. Unlucky Mm. for Maple. (laughs) Maple is known to have frequently engaged in casual sexual relations with servicemen. Good for her. Good for her. Nothing wrong with that. Obviously not at the time. It was very frowned upon. I don't... It's frowned upon in public, but lots of people did it, so... Yeah, I think they were more... Sort of accepting, t- t- uh, turning a blind eye. Maybe. Oh yeah, I think it happened more then yeah, of course it than it does now. Yeah. I just I don't think socially mm. it was acceptable. You mm. just pretend they basically they pretended it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I th- there is one woman who. Most of these tend to live in flats because it's London, and there's yeah. a landlady who like. She'll rent a room out. Yeah. Her nude body was found by workmen in a bombed house on Hampstead Road the day after her murder. She had been strangled to death with her own knickers by someone described by the pathologist who examined her body as being left-handed because the bruising around her neck indicated the murderer had strength in his left hand rather than his right hand. Her handbag had been emptied of, like, all of its contents. There was some strewn about, but who... People who went to, like, look through her, like, confirm it was Maple. Yeah. Noticed things were missing. Okay. 
Her death is believed to have occurred approximately 9.15 on the 13th. Okay. Four days later, on the 17th of October, a 48-year-old woman named Edith Eleonora Humphreys was found lying on her bed at Regent's Park home. Oh. She had been extensively bludgeoned around her face and head oh before no. her assailant had attempted to strangle her before cutting her oh, throat. I was going to say it's like a different... Um, oh my god, what's the word? Uh, mo- not motive. Method uh, of... Yeah. Um, like, oh, <laughs> oh my god, what's the, does what's the word? Does it begin with M or O? Something operandi. Yeah, I know what you mean. Method, um... <laughs> Basically, it's different the way they killed her. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. <laughs> she had also suffered a single stab wound to her skull. Oh. Which penetrated her brain. She was still alive, <gasps> but died shortly after oh, no. she was went to hospital. How did she survive that for that long? No idea. I was going to say got lucky, but um, <laughs> not really. So the door to her property was ajar and investigators found no signs of a forced entry to her home and several items had been stolen oh okay so are we going with like robbery or are they trying to do the robbery writ to cover up the a motive for the murder i don't know okay i think the killer tends to uh take souvenirs okay at the time of these two murders gordon was stationed in wiltshire although he was on leave okay and he is known to have frequently visited london residing at an address near nearby in St. John's Wood, so not too far. Yeah, and I suppose, like, at the time, London, out of all of the places, would have still been one that's relatively easy to get to, with it being the capital. Mm-hmm. On Sunday, the 8th of February, 1942, Gordon left a RAF establishment in John's Wood to visit his wife at the flat they share in South Walk. That's a weird name. He borrowed a £1 note, and this is equivalent to about... 60 pounds as of today so i was i misspoke earlier so earlier i said three pound was 60 pounds so it's not it's a bit more than that and he told her that he wanted to visit the west end for a night on the town ah okay and he left his home about 6 30 p.m okay now i don't know if he was like there for a few days before he went out for the night out or if it was just a passing yeah and he's just like yeah i'm going out now okay (laughs) so thanks the following morning, the body of a 41-year-old pharmacist, Evelyn Hamilton, was discovered by an electrician named Harold Batchelor hmm. in a street-level air raid shelter in Montague Place. He likes dumping them in air raid shelters. Like, I know there's a lot about because of the time, but... <laughs> yeah, and I think it's also, if there's not an air raid going on, there's no one around yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're, they're quiet. I thought there were still police by wardens. So that, you know, if an air raid suddenly went off, they could mm. direct people in. Mm. But he is a serviceman, so maybe he can, like, oh, work yeah, his easy. way around. Oh, yeah, 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 he'd blend in. So her clothes had been uh, disarranged and her scarf was around her head. Scuff marks on her shoes and broken sections of the mortar scattered near her body indicated she had struggled with her attacker. The attacker had raised her skirt above her hips and pulled her underwear below her knee level and exposed her right breast. Oh. So they're all slightly different, but not, if that makes sense. Like, there's some overlap, but there's also, like, each one seems... You know, from the outside, if you weren't 
if they weren't so close together, you could maybe mistake them for not, like you wouldn't necessarily relate them. Mm, I think it's also maybe strangulation is the same thing, but yeah. I think he's like learning what he likes. Oh, okay, yeah. So he's like a. Um, he's adapting yeah. or something, yeah. Evolving. Yes, that's it. That's it. For. Thank you. So her handbag, which had about 80 pounds, the money had been stolen and the empty handbag was later found by a police officer in a nearby street. No fingerprints were recovered from oh. any of her possessions. The location of her body led investigations led investigators to conclude she had been either accosted or attacked as she walked back to her boarding house in the early hours of the morning. Would make sense. Her post-mortem revealed she had been manually strangled by a left-handed individual. Oh, okay. But she had not been sexually assaulted. Oh, which, not saying I'm surprised about that, sounds a bit harsh, but given how she was posed, Mm. I thought that insinuated that she had been. Maybe she had been groped, but nothing internal. Oh, okay, yeah. I suppose it's still sexual assault, really. Yes. But in those days, they wouldn't have classed it as that, would they? She had numerous small cuts and scratches, but this doesn't seem to be, like, what's going to go on later on. Okay. So I think he's getting into cutting, so she's got a tiny cut on her left breast. Right. Which is probably from him, but nothing anywhere else. Okay. Her body was identified by her landlady, who was Catherine Jones, on the 10th of Feb. So she died on the 8th. We're going to get a bit more graphic here. Okay. And I don't know... Trigger warning. Yes, I don't know if we should cover everything or not. I don't know. Go for it. I've given a trigger warning. (laughs) Okay. So shortly after 8.30am on the 10th of February... Two meter readers discovered the naked and mutilated body of 34-year-old Evelyn Oatley lying on her bed in her flat in Soho. She -hmm. had been beaten around her mouth and chest, then strangled into unconsciousness before a six-inch cut had been inflicted to her throat, severing her artery. Oh, nice. So So she bled out rather than dying of strangulation? Mm, it looks like that. Okay. Her head hung over the edge of her bed. Her abdomen, genitals and thigh had been extensively sexually mutilated with a safety razor blade oh. and a tin opener Oh, after death. Six of these wounds had been inflicted around her vaginal cavity, the jagged nature of which suggested they had been inflicted with the tin opener. Mm-hmm. Uh I hope this has been done after she's dead. She's dead, Okay. Yes. Not that that makes it any nicer, but you know, I mean, Lish wasn't allowed. She had also been sexually violated with electric torch, which was protruding from her vagina. Oh, okay, so shoving things in there. Mm-hmm. A pair of blood-smeared curling tongs was found close to her body and a blood-stained razor blade laid next to her, the left of her head. Right. The contents of her handbag were strewn across the floor of her bedroom and... Seven unused Gillette safety razor blades were recovered from the small nightstand beside her bed. The door to her apartment had been closed but not locked. No defensive wounds were found on her hands or arms. Also, hopefully it killed her quite quickly. Hopefully. Fingerprints discovered from the bloodstained tin opener and on the corner of a broken section of mirror within her handbag had 
which had also been used to mutilate her body, indicated that the murderer was left-handed. These fingerprints didn't match any of the police in the database. Okay, so someone that's not been caught already. Yes. The killer didn't take a break as he Mm. killed again on the 11th. But the body of Margaret Florence Lowe wasn't discovered until two days later on the 13th. Margaret was a 43-year-old prostitute and she was last seen alive by her neighbour Florence Bartoloni at approximately 1.15am walking along the corridor to her flat in the accompaniment of a client. Okay. On the 13th, she was found on her bed beneath the quilts, which were just below her chin. She was on her back with her legs apart and her knees bent, so it was like... Okay, yeah. She had been extensively beaten, then strangled to death with her own silk stocking, which had been knotted beneath the right side of her jaw, and froth was visible around her nose and mouth. Okay. Forensic pathologist Sir Bernard Spilsbury remarked that the injuries inflicted by her murderer were quite dreadful. Okay. Adding that the perpetrator was a savage sexual maniac who indulged in a wicked lust to penetrate the most diabolical injuries on women he killed. So these wounds are a lot more graphic than the previous ones. Yes, so, so I, double trigger warning. I might not go through everything. So, um, is it bad that I'm a bit curious? <laughs> she'd been alive for some oh, of them. Okay. Uh, so she's extensively slashed and mutilated with lots of int- uh, implements, including razor blades, a vegetable knife, a table knife, and a poker. Oh, okay. And some were still protruding from her body. Okay. Her, hap- her abdomen had been opened, exposing her internal organs with one further wound inflicted to the right side of her groin with a deep, gaping wound, measuring 10 inches in length. Wow. A large serrated bread knife protruded from a wound close to her groin. A wax candle had also been inserted six inches into her vagina, and her uterus had been slashed. This is very... Like, different, like they are kind of the same, but they're also very different. Like, I know you're, he's evolving, but he likes to strangle them, and then I think he's like, Oh, let's try this. Is it more like an afterthought, like a way of posing them? Like, do you think it's more of a, like a shock factor? Maybe. So, Billsbury says because of these injuries, it's left no doubt in his mind that the same killer also killed Evelyn as well. That would as make sense, they're definitely very similar. Yes, it's, it's not. It's not a nice one. It's surprising that it's not m- more published. Yeah. yeah, but mm. I think because it's wartime, the papers didn't really write about it because they yeah. couldn't. Yeah, true. Yeah, because they've got to be seen to like keeping things jolly. Well, they'll just but, document what's going on in the war. Well, there's that. They and did have other stuff, but yeah. it's more the the role of radio and yeah. newspapers at the time were to try and keep everyone in good spirits. Yeah. So. I don't know, they were just mostly writing about nice things. Mm. So as with most killers, they tend to slip up, especially Mm. as they get cocky. So Gordon made a mistake on Thursday the 12th of February. So he's literally doing it every single day. Oh, okay. Gordon accosted a 25-year-old prostitute named Catherine 
Mulcahy in Regent Street. She agreed to take him to her flat near Southwick Street. The two traveled to her flat via taxi with Gordon giving her the agreed fee of £2 in advance. Okay. Upon entering the flat, uh, Catherine lit her gas fire and began removing her clothes but didn't remove her boots. As she was removing her clothes, she said that Gordon had a strange smile on his face and beckoned her to join him on the bed and then he she removed his clothes right okay as she got towards the bed he climbed on top of her he slammed his knees into her stomach and attempted to strangle her Mm -hmm. as he pinned her body to the bed with his own weight because she's got her boots on she Uh, attacked back okay she managed to break free of his grasp and he fell on the floor beside her she ran screaming from her flat to the house of a neighbor Trying to defend himself, he partially dressed himself before approaching her neighbour's flat and then gave her a further eight one-pound notes, stating, I'm sorry, I think I've had too much to drink this evening. But she repeatedly called him a murderer. He grabbed his coat and fled, but he left something behind. Uh, He left his RAF webbing belt at her flat. What I don't get, I have a question. Mm Mm-hmm. If he's killing these women every day, mm-hmm. and I'm guessing he's making a bit of a mess. I know there's other women, technically he's got undressed. Mm-hmm. However, some of those particularly brutal ones, how is he not getting blood on his uniform? Mm. Okay. Thank you. Do you see what I mean? Mm. I think they find some little bits of blood. Okay. But it's also happening at night, so you can kind of like... Yeah, but then you'll have to go into the RAS. Like, I know he's supposed to be on leave, but like surely in the day when he's running down about, people are not noticing. Mm, I know. Obviously, he didn't get his fix of killing mm. after being from Catherine. And this is where he found another woman. Oh, no. And she wasn't quite so lucky. Ah. And this was 32-year-old Doris Jouanette. I didn't look that up. It might be French. Doris, according to her friend, was going to see a client on the 12th at her home. Okay. She had married a former elderly client of hers and sometimes still worked as a sex worker when she wanted a little extra money okay her her husband worked at a local hotel and sometimes had to stay overnight so this is when doris would exchange okay so she wouldn't have men in the house when he was there you know on the 13th in the evening so the next night doris's husband henry or henry returned home only to find their bedroom door locked Unable to get the door open, he phoned the police. I don't, it doesn't state how old he is. Okay. I'm thinking like old, dithery old man. Yeah. And like he wants to take care of. Yeah. Constable William Payne arrived at the scene and advised Henri to stay in the hallway. Okay. Payne pried open the door and turned on the light and he discovered Doris's naked body, except for a open black nightgown, lying diagonally across the bed with her left hand in between her legs. Okay. A silk stocking was knotted around her neck. He then phoned for more police. Okay. At least he did that bit right. Yeah. Okay. So Bernard Spilsbury conducted Doris's autopsy. This is the same man who's done the others. At Paddington Mortuary on the 14th of February. Her jaw had been broken before she had been strangled with the stocking. That's a good smack to the face, isn't mm-hmm. it? And her stocking was knotted beneath the left side of her chin. Her abdomen, genitals, left breast and thighs were extensively mutilated with a razor blade and a knife 
in a similar manner to the bodies of Oli and Lo. One of the wounds inflicted was a six-inch vertical gash extending from between Mm. her navel to her genitalia, another wound inflicted to her vagina measuring six and a half inches. The flesh beneath her left breast had been carved away. So, like, it is very Jack the Ripper. Spildry was able to determine that Doris had been strangled to the point of death before her murderer had first mutilated her breast and left left thigh as she died. All the other wounds had been inflicted after death. On the evening of the 13th of February 1942, Gordon attacked another woman. Oh, very young. This one is Margaret Haywood and she's in Piccadilly. Okay. After sharing a drink and a sandwich with him, the two walked in the direction of Haymarket. Haywood later stated that at this point he had become unpleasantly forward, pushing her into a doorway in nearby Piccadilly Circus and groped her waist and attempted to persuade her to accompany him to a nearby air raid shelter. Okay. He's going back for the air raid shelter thing then. Uh Haywood consented to a single kiss before informing him that she did not know of any nearby shelters, saying, in any case, I wouldn't go in one with you. Okay. Good on her. Yeah. Gordon then began fondling her, and she slapped at his wrist and pushed his hands away from his body and attempted to leave. In response, he seized her again by the throat, pushed her back in the doorway. She was strangled into unconsciousness as he repeatedly muttered the words, you won't. Oh, okay. As he was rifling through her handbag, he was disturbed by an 18-year-old delivery boy. And this is John Shine. And he was carrying bottles of drink to the nearby captain's cabin pub. And is he, he going to save her? He saves her. Okay. So this means that Gordon has to flee the scene and he's left another something uh, of his in a behind. Panic. So he's not that prepared. He's left his RAF issue gas mask and haversack behind mm. which clearly has everything how's he explaining this when he goes back to the oh, thingy because he's well. missing half of his stuff mm. was it a belt before that he's lost mm-hmm. how's his trousers stayed up? <laughs> <laughs> so john immediately ran to her assistance noting that she had regained consciousness he then offered to accompany her to the hospital mm-hmm. en route they encountered a policeman named James Skinner, and he suggested the two accompany him to the West End Central Police Station to provide a witness statement detailing her attack before an an officer accompanied her to a nearby hospital. Immediately after his attack on Haywood, he visited a pub where he realised he left his gas mask and haversack behind. Mm. And his service number was printed on the inside. That's not good. In an effort to concoct an alibi, he stole another airman's haversack and gas mask Ah. before he returned to the base. At the West End police station, John Stein handed the gas mask and haversack over to the investigators, explaining he had recovered the items from the doorway where he found Haywood, Mm. insisted the items had been in the possession of the man who was assaulting, well, going through the bag. A detective sergeant named Thomas Shepard noted the RAF regiment number printed on the inside of the haversack. Was it also on the belt? I don't think so. Oh, I was going to say, it could have linked <laughs> the two. I know. The RAF were con- contacted 
and they confirmed that the gas mask and haversack belonged to Gordon Commons. Mm. The staff sergeant who confirmed this information also relayed that Gordon was not at his billet. So Mm. where is he? Detective Sergeant Thomas Shepard formally questioned Gordon on the morning of the 14th of February. He protested his innocence and claimed he had spent the evening drinking whiskey and bitter with a corporal whose name he couldn't remember. Ah, convenient. He said I drank a lot and remembered talking to a young woman but didn't remember assaulting her. Okay. (laughs) Immediately after he provided a written statement of the account of the previous night's events, he was arrested and held on remand until a charge of causing grievous bodily harm. Mm Mm-hmm. Gordon covered his tracks with the other knights he wasn't at the billet, or so he thought. An examination of the entries within the billet passbook on the 15th of February February, indicated he had reported back to the billet between 10.30pm on the dates of the murders and attempted murders that the investigators thought the blackout killer. Right, okay. But these were written in pencil meaning that they could have been changed at any time. Ah, okay. Also, he's not very good at timekeeping, as we know. Yeah. So, At first, is that how he's covering himself? He's just going, oh, I was running late. No. Like, it would kind of be a good cover. No. Oh. The days that he commits the crimes is the only days that he tends to sign, as all of a sudden started signing in and out. So all the other times... Ah, he hasn't. So yeah. he's, like, he's only doing it to provide an alibi. Yeah, yeah so it stands out. So it's like, you're not very good there. (laughs) So they searched Cummins' possessions and they revealed that he had various items belonging to the four murder victims that are linked to the blackout killer. And that's a bit strange, isn't it? Why would he have that? Obviously someone planted them. But he said like that's from the person he took the haversack from. That's why they're in there. Oh, okay. Mm. One of the items that had been found in the possessions was a white metal cigarette case engraved with the initials LW which had belonged to Evelyn Oatley. Okay. This is very weird. The cigarette case was discovered hidden in a kitchenette alongside a photograph of Oatley's mother. So I'm assuming he took a picture of her mum as well. Well maybe originally because the initials are different maybe it originally belonged to her mum and Mm. she's received it if the mum's passed away so Mm. she's kept a photo of her mum in it. In the cigarette case? Yeah. Yeah. I suppose. I thought he might have just taken the photo as well. No, I think it's okay. probably in the cigarette case. Okay. It might have been handed down. You know, like, it's all she had left at mm-hmm. home or something. So you mentioned about blood earlier. Yeah. Traces of blood was also recovered from a shirt retrieved from his kit bag and the lining of a surface of one of his belts. Right, okay. An examination of the trouser turnips of his military uniform also revealed the a distinctive brick dust mixture found at the air raid shelter in which Evelyn Hamilton's Ooh. body was discovered. I'm very surprised about this because my impression of like the RAF and like what well, any army is they want them to look immaculate. Yeah. So like wouldn't even a sergeant or something have picked up like you've got a speck of dirt on that mm. uniform. But it's like on the inside. Mm. So like on the outside it looks fine. Okay. Chippings from the mortar were also recovered from his haversack. Yeah. So it's just Detective Sergeant Superintendent Frederick Sherrill, maybe, was able to match the fingerprint of Gordon's left little finger and thumb with the prints found on the tin opener and broken mirror Mm. found near the body of Evelyn Oatley. Okay. On the 16th of February, Edward Greenough, 
drove to HM Prison, Brixton, to interview Gordon to recount his movements between the 9th and 13th. Okay. He insisted he had never encountered any of the murder victims and claimed to have been unable to recognise their photographs. Right, okay. He was obviously unconvinced, and Greeno informed him that he was to be charged of the murders of Oatley, Lowe and Joannette the following morning. He was held on remand at HMM Prison, Brixton, to await trial. Okay. He was further charged with assaulting Haywood and Mulcahy, she has a weird name, Catherine, <laughs> on the 20th of February. On the 27th of March, he ap- appeared before a judge at Bow Street Magistrates Court. On this occasion, he was further charged with the murder of Evelyn Hamilton. Yeah. The trial of Gordon Cummins for the murder of Evelyn Oatley began at the Old Bailey on the 24th of April, 1942. He was tried before Mr. Justice Asquith. He entered a plea of not guilty to the charges against him. What's his defence? Someone else. Doesn't have one. (laughs) Someone else. (laughs) He seemed uninterested in the legal proceedings. Okay. Occasionally chatting in a light-hearted manner with his lawyer. Mm. Or turning to the bar to smile and wave at his wife, who believed he was completely innocent. Oh no. The jury returned their verdict at 4.35pm, having only deliberated del- yeah, deliberated for just 35 minutes. Okay, so they so were it's pretty a certain, clean, yeah. It's a clean... Each juror avoided making eye contact with him as they filed back into the courtroom. When asked by the court clerk as to their verdict, the foreman replied, guilty of murder. Mm. He displayed no emotion as the verdict was read out, but his wife burst into tears. Oh, I feel a bit sorry for her. Yeah, I mean... I mean, she's had a lucky escape, really. Yeah, they had no children. she could have been... They had no children either. They strike me as, like, whenever he was on leave, it sounded like he was just, like, he went to their flat and then just left. Yeah. Yeah, because did he spend any time with her? Or maybe he was just telling her he was still away. Yeah. Gordon Cummins was executed by Albert... Pierre Point. Yes. Yes. Is that the son? The f- no, it's the, the man I covered. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. At Wandsworth Prison on the 25th of June 1942. Mm. Due to it being wartime, his crimes weren't in the press as they probably would have been, but the sex workers of the area knew about the deaths and would only see regular clients. Mm. Once Gordon was arrested, it filtered into the papers and this is where the press dubbed him the Blackout Killer. I mean, it's quite an apt name, isn't it? It is. And that is... I've never heard of that. No, I've not. It's quite interesting, though. Like, he evolved very quickly. quickly. It's like... You know, normally, like, it's yeah. over a period of a few years, and then, yeah. like, they gradually evolve. His is literally days. So either you could maybe hypothesise that maybe he did already have the idea, but you know with the other women, he was disturbed too quickly that he didn't have time yep. to do what he wanted to do. Yeah. But, yeah, but also, like, it seems... It's quite graphic for a sudden thing. Like, I'm surprised he didn't have any other crimes before. Because you don't normally see an escalation, don't you? Mm. Like, what made him just suddenly get up? Maple and the other woman are only suspected. He is not convicted of them. Uh, But even still, it's like it said, it almost starts off with the more graphic ones. Mm. So, like, what made him suddenly do that? And, like, was he ever 
forceful t- towards his wife. Do you know what I mean? Like, you feel like he, it's got to be something psychological. Like he needs to be, like, predisposed to it. So you would expect him to be abusive towards yeah. his wife. So, like, what was he doing in Scotland? None yeah. of his crime are in Scotland. He's just there oh, for yeah. years. And then all of a sudden he's in London. He wants the lifestyle of a aristocrat. But even so, like, you would have expected him to have, like, other sexual assaults yes. towards women. Yeah. Even, like, from his teenage years. So either... Because how old was he again when he started killing? Is he, he was, 30s or 40s? He was born in... 1914, and he starts when he's, so he's in his 30s? 36. In 1936, so he's not that old. He's, like, in his 20s. Oh, okay, so he's, like, half the age of all the women he's killing, then, because they're in their 40s, aren't mm. they? So more young. One nineteen, forty-eight. 48. Ooh, yeah. Okay, so he didn't have a tightness. 41. It, they tend... The women that he's killed... Are sex workers. Are sex workers, or have... But in terms dabbled. of an age, he doesn't have a preference. No. Okay. Mm. I, think they I just don't see how he's even not been involved in other crimes or he's not been even like assault and stuff Either like that. It seems a bit of a drastic yes. turnaround to suddenly go, because it's not even like he's, I don't want to say just strangling them, yeah. but do you know what I mean? It's not like he's just killed them on a bit of a whim and he gets off on it. He's like fully mutilating them. Like, how do you get from that if you've done exactly. nothing before? Exactly. I think there was probably some crimes that he got away with beforehand. Yeah, there must have been, or something. Either that, or there was a major event, like something happened. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't think just the pressure of the war alone was enough to... But I don't... He wasn't fighting. He was stationed. Mm. Yeah, but you don't know what you're going to see. If people were being sent home, you might see, see like, mutilated bodies. Yeah. Mm. I could be wrong. He he obviously did fly, but I don't think he bombed anyone. He was one of the lucky ones and not having to fight yeah. on the land he's definitely an interesting character yeah i'd like to know more about like maybe like what he was doing in his early years also we know he says like he's, he wasn't keeping down the job and he's doing other things but it would have been interesting to see if there was any other crimes mm-hmm. similar to what had happened that happened in those areas at those times mm-hmm. yeah that were just never attributed either like un um what's the word uh her... documented Unreported. Yeah, unreported. Okay. Or if they were reported, they were like unsolved. Like there mm. wasn't anyone convicted or someone was later found to be wrongly convicted of mm. it. Because it's quite a like, specific mm. attack. So you would have thought they would have stood out. Mm. Just lots of strangulation. Mm. And then those... And mutilations. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Mm. But yeah, it was a good one. I, I like it. I like it when you find a case that you've like not heard anything about. Because sometimes... I hate it. You know when you're looking for a case and you're like, oh, I've already seen loads of people cover this. Or even if it's a case you think's not very well known, but That's all of a sudden everyone yeah. covers it. And you're like, no, I wanted to cover this case. Well, I have all the ones that I kind of want to do up until next year. This yeah. one was supposed to come out March the 27th, but because yeah. we've kind of like, we've messed up the timeline with when the order of stuff comes out. I was just like, I'll just do this one now. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, it's hard sometimes knowing mm. when to bring that because you don't. There was one I nearly did the other month, but I saw two other podcasts do it, and I was like, I don't want to think that I'm like jumping on their mm. bandwagon and like releasing it all within the same week. So I was like, plus people would be bored of it at the time. Yeah. Like, people might forget about it so many months down the line. Yeah. But yeah, I've n- not, but well, to be fair, I've not looked for this on any other podcast, mm. but I haven't found it mm. or heard about it anywhere. 
But yeah. Well, maybe if you get some time, it might be worth looking to see mm. if you can find any other crimes. Maybe they need to do that with other things, like, you know, the ones we've done, see, where there's a bit of a gap, or mm. it looks like there's a suspicious gap. Yeah. Look at what other crimes happen. Well, he probably had a lot of time. That's why his timekeeping was so poor when he had his jobs. Yeah. He was yeah, off he doing must something. He have done something before to someone. Of course he was. Um, but it's interesting, like, that he had a wife that was never abusive towards her. That we know of. Well, but yeah. but she was still emotional and believed he was innocent. Yeah, so, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, you know, if it all come out, she could turn around and go, "Oh yeah, he abused me as well." But like the fact that she seemed he was so innocent, you would have thought, even if she was naive, mm. you would have thought I if think, he was violent towards her. I think some people see their wives as different to other women. Mm, maybe. So that might be it. So it's like she's sacred, whereas these sex workers aren't. Yeah, maybe. Even still, you would have thought, like, you know, if he was in a bit of a mood, they'll actually get it off. It might just get the better of him. Or maybe he's like, he will never take it out on her. That's why he's probably like, I'm going out for the evening after they've Mm. had an argument. Mm. Don't know. Is that it for today? I think so. Unless we have anything else to add. I don't think so. Okay. Uh, In the meantime. Keep creeping. And we'll keep digging.